Turning your Bibles right now to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to have these guys set up behind me, kind of illustrating. The reason why this is so important is because we're going to see a lot of the manger. Uh, we, we are. Every, every, most Christian homes have a nativity set. We're going to drive past certain houses, and they have it outside. And, and we're going to get a Christmas card, and it's going to have the nativity on the front. And it's going to have that manger and the baby. We sit there and go, oh, wow, how cute, how awesome. And it's either going to portray either the, the shepherds bowing, Mary and Joseph bowing. It's going to have some form of worship around that. Even the wise men that traveled for those years to come down and bow before the new king. But do we get it? You realize that none of that worship is possible without understanding the meaning of why he came and what he came to do. He came to restore our worship. It was lost. Herod, just like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, tried to stop the worship. We see that all through the Bible, Satan's trying to come in. We have an adversary. And I told you last week, it's not so much about us worshiping Satan as, as much as he is about us worshiping anything other than God. Man, if he can get our attention on anything other than God, he feels victorious. Today, I want to go deeper into the Christmas story, probably deeper than we've ever gone before, because I'm going to do very, very little of the Christmas story and, and kind of go behind the scenes of actually what was happening, because the manger should remind us of heaven and hell. The manger should remind us of the payment of sin. The manger should remind us of the passion of God and the restoration of his people, but if we don't connect the dots of how all those things and all those doctrines connect to the manger, then we don't appreciate the manger like we should. So here we are going to preach the same outline three times. And it will make sense as we go to goes through this. So in Genesis, we, we realize that we were created to worship. And I know some of this is going to be redundant, and I'm not apologizing for that. Let me tell you, if we're going to get it, we're going to have to go back and show and tie it in, tie it in, tie it in over and over again. I want you guys to walk away from this understanding, fully understanding what this means. So why do we keep going back to Adam in the garden? Because that's where it all started. That's where we learned, number one, that God desires us. God was, had a hand-on reaction, relationship to us. He created us out of the dust. God loved Adam and Eve. He loves us. He, we were created for God, for fellowship with God, for, for a relationship with God, to worship God. You say, where do we find worship? Adam and Eve never broke into song in, in, in Genesis, but their very relationship was worship to God. Man, if you think that you have to sing a song, but I'll tell you, if you have a relationship with God, singing a song is the byproduct, it's the reaction. It, 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 it's, when something's going on in your heart, you won't be able to keep it in. It will come out in worship through a song or praise or whatever it is. But then man sinned. And God went looking for Adam and Eve in the garden Read with me in Genesis 3, 9. And the Lord God, who is that talking? That is Jehovah. That is not just Elohim, the creator of the world. That is Jehovah, the hands-on God that made us, the one that desires a relationship. Called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Adam, where are you at? So powerful for us to understand. Do you understand that Adam and Eve broke God's law? Do you realize what should have happened, what could have happened? As soon as they did that, they should have died right there on the spot. They, they deserve that. Or God could have just said, I'll tell you what, they did that. 
get him out of here. He had the angels that were standing there guarding uh, the Garden of Eden. He could have just said, throw them out, but that's not what God did. No, understand, we're, we're realizing, I'm, I'm preaching the Christmas story right now. You don't even realize it in Genesis. Here, here comes God. Adam, Adam, where are you? God was not confused as to where Adam and Eve was. God knew. So what was it? God was showing the heart of God saying, even though you've sinned, I still want you. God was broken over our sin. We always talk about how we're broken over our sin and how we're broken over the relationship that is separated. Man, have you ever thought that God was broken too? This is why I used last week, Morgan is my illustration, my daughter, about how a dad desires the relationship and fellowship with their kids. It bothers me to be divided. But then number two, the payment or the penalty of our sin is death. Because God is a just God, he makes the wrongs right. He does not ignore sin. God cannot ignore sin. Do you realize that if sin exists, God has to deal with it? Because God is holy and righteous, and everything that we learn about God is the fact that God cannot touch sin. It's the complete opposite of who he is. But now Adam and Eve has sinned. Why did Adam and Eve hide? Notice verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. And I hid myself. And, and, he, said unto, unto, and, he, and he said, or God said unto him, Who told thee that thou was naked? Now, you, now we, we just breeze right over a passage like that. Understand what's going on. They, they now are shameful. They now have fear. Can you imagine living in a day and age that we had to live in fear of God? Here they are. They broke God's law and something inside of his head. You think about it. Adam and Eve never had fear of God. Adam and Eve never ran from God. And all of a sudden, they realized that they were naked. They realized that they were shameful. And Adam and Eve are on the run from God. Have you ever wondered in a passage like that what was going on? All of a sudden, something clicked in his mind saying, you don't deserve God. Think about that. Something clicked in their mind to say, you better run and hide. They never were told that before. Man, it's what sin does. Sin drives a wedge between us and God. They knew. Their minds, their, their mind had regret. Their mind had shame. Their mind had fear. Their mind had frustration. Why did I do this? I wasn't there, but you can imagine Adam and Eve in that opening conversation looking at them saying, I, I feel embarrassed. Why do we feel this way? Why is it that we feel this way? And you, you can imagine, Eve, we've got to do something. And they begin to run and hide and do all these things. And while they're hiding, he says, hey, what if we try to cover this up? What, what are you talking about, cover this up? I, I don't know. Something inside of me tells me that I need to fix this. Well, Adam, what are, you, what are you saying that we do? Let's take these fig leaves right here. Maybe if we covered up our nakedness, it would make us feel better. Have you ever thought how weird it is that they grabbed a bunch of leaves to try to fix their problem? Have you ever stopped the thing? And maybe we tell it as a Bible story so many times in Sunday school and stuff that we've just thought about it. Who told them that they were naked? Who told them to be ashamed? Now notice verse 21. And then Adam also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin. And he clothed them. Notice again, it was Lord God. It was personal. 
God goes up to him and a substitution is made. Coats of skin. Where did you get coats of skin? Where would you get coats of skin? I mean, here, here it is. Something happened that's never happened before. Death. I, I don't know if it was visual. I don't know if God did it off to the side. I don't know. But all of a sudden, something had to die for them to be covered. For them to be covered. For there not to be the shame that was there anymore. It didn't permanently fix it. But, but death Something had to die in order for them to live. Adam and Eve had never seen blood. They'd never seen death. Their shame and their sin was covered by the sacrifice of the innocent. Here's Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Don't ever lose sight of that. The payment of sin is death. From the very beginning, they're standing there in their shame and their sin, their regret, all these things going. And God comes up to them and says, you need to clothe yourself in this now. I know you're saying, I know all this. We've got to get through this to get to the main point. Number three, sin must be covered. In that verse right there is a deep doctrinal thing that happens throughout the rest of history. In verse 21, and Adam also said to his wife, to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them? The meaning of this is a deep doctrinal meaning. It's called the, the doctrine of atonement. It means that they, were, they had coats of covering. It means that their sin must be covered. It wasn't just a matter of, listen to this, this is so important. It's not just a matter of going to make the sacrifice. It's not just a matter that the animal died. It's not just a matter that there was a substitution made. It was a matter of they had to bring the coats to them and said, you have to put this on in order to have your shame covered. You have to be covered. You guys realize that just because Jesus died doesn't mean you're covered. And I know this is going over your head until we get to the end of it. Some of this is just things that we don't make the application of this. Number four, man falls short in his attempt to cover his sin. The Bible says in 3.7, And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I know I kind of emphasize this, but let me point this out to you. They did it themselves. They stepped back and said, hey, we can fix this. Because let me tell you, the problem with the world today is they are desperately trying to fix their own problem. I mean, at Christmas, we're about to see this. We're about to see more people go to church besides Easter than any other time of the year. You know why? Something in their mind tells them that this is a good deed. This is a good thing. I'm going to go through the act. I'm going to do this this religious thing, and it's going to make me feel better. They made themselves close. Let me tell you right now, you cannot for the rest of your life ever cover your shame. It will never change your mind. You'll never stop running. You'll never fix yourselves. Hebrews 9.22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There was no forgiveness of sins. They did it themselves. They did it with fig leaves. It did not work. Over and over again, we find in the Bible about it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Ephesians 2.8.9, that not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're saying, this is so basic, I know. Their leaves did not work. Their leaves did not cover But then number five, sin divides us. Verse 24, so so he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden of cherubims and flaming swords which turned every way to to keep the way of the tree of life. 
Sin and God does not mix. Holy and unholy does not mix. Righteousness and unrighteousness does not mix. There was a separation. Now, notice this. In the garden, the Bible says, and we know in Romans, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, every one of us know that verse. We probably quote it. We give it in the plan of salvation. But even in this illustration, if you remember, the holy place of God and where God is dwelling in the Garden of Eden. Here it is. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, look this up because we say this verse all the time. What does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? This is the definition. To come behind. To come behind. No matter what, I can't keep up with God. No matter what, I can't catch up to his holiness. No matter what, I can't earn it. No matter what, it means to fail. It means to lack. It means to suffer need. Adam and Eve suffered need. Adam and Eve lacked. Adam and Eve fell short of the glory of God. Have you ever just stopped and thought about that? I was driving down the road with Jenny on uh on thursday i said think about that term right there the glory of god think about how much the bible talks about the glory of god think about the bible says that we've fallen short of the glory of god think about on the other side of the curtain shine the shekinah glory of god Think about how over and over again, but all of a sudden, in in the book of matthew in the book of luke The bible says that the glory of the lord shone round about them we, we, we find out that the presence of God comes down there and invites them in. That's where we're going with this. Comes to point number two, and we'll start over again. Restricted in worship. And I know we already went through this, but let me walk through this again. Exodus 24, Satan had felt that he won because all of a sudden there's a separation. This was his goal. There was a battle to keep them in bondage. We illustrated that through Pharaoh. A battle for their heart. A battle for their mind. A battle for them to sit there and worship anything other than God. And God's rescue plan was to come and rescue his people from the grips of Pharaoh. He said, let my people go that they may go worship me. That was the reason. But how did it happen? Think about this. The death of the firstborn happened in there. The blood was shed and the sacrificial lamb was then put on the doorpost. The angel of death went through and when they saw the blood, when the angel saw the blood, he passed by them. And everyone that obeyed because the sacrifice of the lamb was saved and it led them to go. Now they're in the wilderness traveling on a journey. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. This is message number two. Now let me show you the exact same illustration before we get to our closing they're in the wilderness exodus 24 verse 1 we showed this last week and he said unto moses come up unto the lord the lord the personal side and notice this at the end of the verse and worship ye afar off once again for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god you realize that the glory of god the presence of god the fellowship with god we've all fallen short of the glory of god so all of a sudden, God begins to illustrate it. He builds this thing up and he shows where the glory of God shines and the presence of God. And he invites them to stand there on the other side and says, you cannot come in. And I showed you the passion of God of how I put me on one side and Morgan on the other. And the fact that God wanted that fellowship. But that sin separated us from God. God said that he desired them Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. 
started a long time ago. God's fellowship with them in the garden, God's fellowship with them. I want to be in the middle. I want to be the focus. They were given the instructions of the tabernacle. And God said, I'm going to dwell in the middle of them. The Shekinah glory on one side and fallen humanity on the other. But let me explain to you how restricted their worship was to the whole thing. As they entered into the tabernacle, it separated them from everything because of the walls, even the people on the outside. Before the priest could enter, the sacrifice would have to be made. They would come to the altar. Now, I didn't include all the pieces in this, but today, let me just show you this. The Bible says in Exodus 29, 39, the one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning and the other lamb thou shalt offer in the evening. And, and over and over again, the different illustrations of that sacrifice. But no matter what, the first thing that they came to is they had to come to a place where they took the lamb. Now listen to this. The lamb came from outside from among them. The lamb was brought inside, <clears throat> brought to that altar. And that priest would then take that lamb, that animal, and kill it. The wages of sin is death. Before they could step into the area of fellowship that we talked about, restricted fellowship with God, that animal had to die. It was the same principle we learned in, the, uh, in Genesis. Why is that? Because of number three, sin must be covered. Inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I know, I'm going to tell you guys, this is a plastic flower pot, okay? So don't make fun of me. This is as close as I could get, but I, I, I'd rather you get the image of this than anything else. Inside the other side of this was different things that gave illustration of their relationship to God. One of them was the Ten Commandments. Obey me. Did they obey God? They fell short constantly. It's inside the Ark of the Covenant. The budded rod of Aaron, which represented, and there's a long story that goes with that, the rebellion of God's people, of how they rebelled. And God says, go ahead and take that, put that in there. And then there was the manna, representing the relationship that God fed them along the way, that God was faithful to them. But at the same time, you know what they did with the manna? They complained to God. God did a miracle in the midst of them. God fed them out of nowhere. God did what man could never do. And God said, put that in there. You know what's crazy about that? Out of all the places of those things that represent my sin, why in here? This makes more sense over here. This makes no more sense. But that's not what God did. And by the way, when they'd get ready to travel, they would stick the, the rods through, and they would come up, and they would, they would haul it around, and it would go before them. If you guys remember, when they walked down inside the Jordan River, it had to go first. When it went, they went. When it stopped, they stopped. Then they would bring it right back into the middle of the camp. It would be the focus of that. But there was something more to it. There was a lid on top of it. I, I don't want to lose you guys. In the, the, sometimes preachers get into all these terms and things like that. But there was a lid called the propitiation or the covering or the atonement. And that lid would cover and, and be over those sins so that technically in the image of man, when God looked down and the Shekinah glory looked down, he didn't see the sins, he saw the covering. So what they would do is they would then have to take once a year, the priest would then take that blood and he'd have this little bowl and he'd go in once a year and there was this huge ritual for him to be able to do this. He walked through the curtain 
and he'd walk over to their sin. All the things that represented their past, everything that represented the fact that they should go to hell, that they should die, that they don't deserve mercy. And that priest would put that blood on top of it. And then he would leave. They did not boldly approach God to the point where they'd have to have a rope around their leg where if they messed up, they would die and they'd have to pull their carcass out of there because they did not do right. There, there was no relationship. There was none. There, there was a wall that divided them, but at the same time, their sin still had to be dealt with. And all of that was a reminder that sin had to be covered of their past, of their mistakes, everywhere they went, everything that they did. But listen to this. It reminds man that man falls short of his attempt to cover his sin. It's the same thing with the fig leaves. Now let me read this verse. You look up at the screen and read this with me. Hebrews 10, 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. We're getting there, okay? And not the very image of things. Listen to these words. Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because as the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Let me illustrate it like this. God said, hey, let me tell you. They didn't know what we knew of Jesus Christ. They went over and over again. I am a sinner. They'd go out. They'd sacrifice. They'd go back in year after year, day after day, animal after animal, continually doing it over and over again. I hope when we get to the end of this, you sit back and understand what we're doing. A lot of us still live our lives this way. I'm I'm telling, we're trying to earn our way into God and do that. So we do all this stuff over and over again, trying to earn merit with God. We understand that it will never be good enough. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. You know what it was? All it was was a remembrance. Remember you failed. Remember you'd fall short. Remember what you did. Remember how you complained. Remember you broke the law. Remember, remember, remember. Aren't you glad today we have another way of remembering? It's no longer the remembrance that he's talking about Hebrews now. Now we say this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Jesus Christ. As often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of his sacrifice. It's just like the fig leaves. I never fixed it. But it brings me to the last point again. Sin divides us. On the other side of the veil was the Shekinah glory separated. Once again, it never fixed it. You realize when they walked through and they did that because it was the blood of bulls and goats, the curtain shut and nothing changed. The next day when they would come in and sacrifice, you can imagine on the corner of their eye when they're walking in there to the tabernacle and they're on the outside in that courtyard and they're crucifying that animal. They had to walk in there once again to see that they were separated still because of their sin. 
Every time you see that veil, every time you hear of it, we should be reminded, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But can I preach this message one more time? One more time. I'm going to ask Brent to come out. This time we're going to talk about not just that we were created to worship in Genesis, not just we were restricted to worship in the Old Testament, but we're restored to worship. So here we get to the Christmas story, but the lamb came from without. It was sacrifice. It had to be given up. It was, came from them and brought in. We tell this more from the Bible story of the Christmas story. We'd go to Matthew one twenty three, and behold, a virgin shall be with child. She'll bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now listen to this. Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. So let me bring it back to you again. You know what the Christmas story is? You know what the New Testament it is? God desires us. God, God this, this, I'm going to try to explain this, Brent. It's going to be so hard. Because of the fact that, that the incarnate, we sang that in the song this morning, and some of you probably just went over the word, it's to talked about loving the incarnate of God. That means that God took on flesh. Now, Brent, I don't get that. Actually, I racked my brain with it this morning. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to understand how is that possible because technically, and I know Brent's just an actor. He's just in costume right now. But technically, if he's God in the flesh and he represents the Shekinah glory on the other side, technically this is it. I should not be able to get in the presence of you. When that baby was born and it was all God, Mary should not have been able to hold that baby. Shepherds should not have been able to hold the baby. Wise men should have never been allowed in the room. What in the world happened to allow me access to you? What in the world happened to change everything where they went from fear and trembling to, hey, come and worship? Something happened because let me tell you, he was still all God. He was still all righteous and holy and perfect and pure. None of that changed for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign, and you shall find the babe, flesh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Say, so then how? The Bible explains it. That God chose something. Hey guys, I, I can't put this in the words, but I can read you the verse. Philippians 2, 7 says, but, he, but made himself of no reputation and took up upon him the form of a servant that was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's the Greek word kenosis, which means to empty oneself of. Okay, in the upper room, he illustrated this before he went to the cross. Now they went in and Jesus was giving them the visual of what he was going to do, the visual of why he was even there. They all walked in, and you did this in the play, they all walked in, sat down with dirty feet. Why? Nobody was at the door to wash their feet. Where is the servant? All they had was the master. The Bible tells us that Jesus took off his outer robe. That represented who he was. It represented him as royalty and, and, and as the, later the high priest, but in that sense, their, their master, their teacher. 
Then he got on their hands and knees and took on the form of a servant. But let me tell you, in that story, he was all God. He was all Jesus. He chose to lay aside his glory and take on man. He chose, God chose. And because God could not die, he chose to be put into a form that could die. Because none of that changed. The law of sacrifice, the law of covering, every bit of that could not change God cannot go against the very law that he set, the very law from Genesis. It had to be there. So let me tell you this. If there was no manger, there could be no cross. And if there was no cross, there is hell for every one of us. He chose to be able to bleed. He chose to cry. He chose to be hungered. He chose to be able to be tired he, he put on humanity, and he had the power to do so. He sat aside his royalty in that sense and took on the form of a servant for one reason. So this could happen right here. And all of a sudden, through his life, we began to see a side of Jesus that he wanted for us to know all this time that we could have never gotten close to without the incarnate or the becoming in the form of a servant part. He went to the sick, the dying, the needy, the rejected, the outcast, the adulterous, the maniac, the wicked, the sinners, the Pharisees. He went to the hurting. He went to the dead. He went to the ones weeping. Every bit of that, I'll tell you, you're seeing the glory of God. You're seeing who he is made manifest through the servant heart of Jesus. He did that. But why? The Bible says that something's happening. And I I need you to see this because I'm going to tell you guys right now, at the cross where Jesus is about to go, there is not the tabernacle, the temple, like we think of, but there was a spiritual one. Can I prove it? Just so you guys, as I walk you through this, as we close out with this, let me show you this. Hebrews 9, 11, but Christ became a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not the same one. There, there's another one. Not made with hands. Not, not of Moses, not of David, not of Solomon. That is to say, not of this building. There's a spiritual one. So we come to the cross, or I could bring you to the altar. A sacrifice is freely given. A sacrifice is not taken. You understand if a sacrifice is forced, it's not freely given. It's not love. It's forced. No one forced Jesus to take his life. No one forced it to lay it down. Therefore, it wasn't murder. It was sacrifice. Listen to this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. You know why? Because everything that symbolized of that lamb that they would take from the people and that lamb that they would bring in and that lamb that would sacrifice, he had to become all of that. Now you think about the day he was born. You think about that night. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes were more associated with grave clothes than they were baby clothes. On top of that, they ran out and put him in a, in a manger, in a stable, which were sheep were. On top of that, the first people who were called to come in and worship them were people raising sacrifices. 
shepherds that will one day bring in the sheep for the sacrifice. Everything pointed to this so that Jesus would die on the altar in a more perfect tabernacle and more that we could not see. This is why, because sin had to be covered. Now I'm going to jump ahead. Brent, in this situation, I want to go to this side. Before he comes over here, in this more perfect sacrifice or tabernacle, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the budded rod of Aaron. I'm not even going to talk about the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about manna. But I will put in their lust and greed and hatred and envy, pride and arrogance. Every single one of us, because the thing is that separates us from relation with God is our sin. You realize what was going on here in every aspect of this. And all of these things that we try to do to cover our sin. Listen to this. The same verse is Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation. You know what that word is? Atonement. You know what that is? The covering. Through his blood through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. So on that day, we're looking at the cross. Behind the spiritual curtains was Jesus doing this. He stepped through on this side. Jesus at that time, he went over and he sprinkled with his blood before the mercy seat of his father. The illustration is this. When God looked down, God could not see my sin, my lust, my past, my mistakes. Only thing that God saw was the blood. Everything is changing. Man falls short in his attempt to do it. Hebrews 10.10, by the which which we were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Do you realize what happened? This is man. Man comes along here. Man does it over and over and over and over again. That's works. You'll never do enough. You can't do enough. You'll never do enough. You can't be enough. You can't go enough to earn it. But his blood, it's a visual, the covering. Hebrews 10, 12. But this man after he had made one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. <clears throat> you got to understand, the priest never sat down. Why did they not sit down? You, you sit down and you say the spiritual thing. Why? Because they had to get out and do it again. There is no rest for those that have to keep doing it. It was never done. So can we visualize this for just for a minute? He sits down and there's this visual of this. Jesus. He, sat, he sits down. You say, what is that representing? Oh, here's Jesus in heaven in the, in the imagery of what's going on. But can you hear it in the distance? Can you guys hear it in the distance? See, on Calvary, the same time as this is happening, we hear the words by Jesus screaming out, It is finished. You know what that was? That was Jesus saying this. I paid it. It's done. But you understand, everything that they did before never covered their sin because you can't cover dirt with dirt. You can't cover sin with sin. You can't make something white with something dirty. But only this time, it was a lamb that had never sinned. It was a man that never fallen short. 
It was the one that has never fallen short of the glory of God. He was the glory of God. So that's pretty cool. Oh, I'm not done yet. So here Satan is, working in our minds over and over again, just like Adam. I've sinned. I've sinned. I've sinned. I can't. I can't. Have any of you messed up this week and almost embarrassed to come to church today? Or you didn't sing out or you didn't lift your hands or whatever? Do you understand that Jesus not only sat down, do you understand that there's the next verse that comes after this? From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made a footstool. You know what that was? That was this right here. Jesus said, let me give you a visual right here. So in the Old Testament, there's another illustration. When they would knock down their enemy and declare that they had won, just like David did with Goliath, they would sit there and knock him to the ground and they put their foot on their head, symbolizing this. You are now my footstool. You are now under my feet. I declare me as the victor. Satan on that day was knocked to the ground. And God put his hand, his foot on his neck. It's Genesis 3 when God said, he will crush your head. He will crush your head. But I'm not done. Spiritual behind the curtain, something's going on. And the Bible says in Mark 15, 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. How is that possible? Because God looks down at there and says, I can't see the blood. It's covered. My son is victorious. His enemies are his footstool. God sits there and rips it open from there. Let me tell you what's going on. Now me, I don't stop here because it's done. I don't make a sacrifice. It's paid in full. I don't have restrictions. It was ripped. I don't see my sin. It's covered. And I boldly come before the throne of grace. No more fear. No more trembling. No more hesitation. I'm able to worship the Father because he is king. So what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You know, it is, it's, it's, it's clothed in his righteousness. The same way as I must be clothed in the righteousness of Adam and Eve, putting on that to walk in. It's the same thing as you today. You cannot enter. You are sinner. For all have come short of the glory of God. Do you know the only thing that allows me to come near Jesus and near the glory of God and near that is the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It is only Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. That's it. So I'll tell you right now, if you're trying to get there any other way, it will not work. It's not going to work today. It won't work tomorrow. And I tell you, one day you will stand before God, but Brent, stay not with me. I'm going to stand before God like this. I am a child of God. My sins are covered. Now, they're not just covered, Brent. The Bible says never to be remembered no more. And I, I have lots of other verses that I could go in to go into this. But I'll tell you this. 
Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Today, this is me, the worship of God, and I can run to the Father. I don't have to go in fear and trembling. There's no rope around my feet. There's no blood on my hands. There's no curtain dividing. There's no sin to remind me. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus.